Well, the theme of 1 Peter, one of the themes is the Christian and suffering. How do you walk through, handle suffering? For example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, regarding your salvation, <clears throat> verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says you're, you're going to be tested and tried and pushed and prodded. And then chapter 3, verse 14 says this, but even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And he's talking about your former way of life, he says, before you came to know Christ and how the surrounding culture will marginalize you and malign you. In chapter 4, verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised, the non-believing world, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and so they malign you, or they belittle you, or they castigate you. So suffering is part of the, the fabric of the Christian faith as he writes this circular letter to churches in Asia Minor. He says this, this, that's who we are. And so I'm going to give you some, some principles on how to handle suffering and then make one pointed application. This is kind of a side road at the end. So four, four principles. Number one, he says, do not be surprised when fiery trials or ordeals hit you. Don't be surprised. Instead, understand that a gracious God is in charge of your life. Verse 12 of chapter 4, that we're going to study this paragraph. It says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 19 is a summation statement of this paragraph. It says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust means to hand themselves over, to place themselves before someone. Instead of being surprised, we entrust ourselves to God's good plan through the plan of Abba Father and the shepherding grace of Christ and the comforting work of the Spirit. Listen to James chapter 1. It just, it just sounds strange, really. Just listen. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you hit trials and temptations of many kinds, knowing that, that God is perfecting you and, and stretching you. And Romans 5, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, 
We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. I, I read this and I think, you know, we must have a, a God-saturated, God-intoxicated view of life to, to, to get here. We've got to see God as, I go to verse 19 again. You must entrust yourself, entrust your souls to your faithful creator. A faithful creator. A glorious God. He says in chapter 5 and verse 10, he talks about our brothers around the world experiencing tribulation. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The God of all grace. The God of all power. The God who is gloriously good. Your faithful creator. He will do, we have a, a, a God-entranced, intoxicated worldview that, that, that sees life filled with battles and blessings. We live on this side of D-Day, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, but we live before the full armistice. Jesus says, in this life you will have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So I'm, I'm just so let me give you a couple of examples from history. <clears throat> and I, I, I use this letter frequently because it just it just blesses me. There's a woman named Sarah Edwards who wrote a letter in 1758. Her husband has just died of smallpox. He had just been installed as a president of Princeton College in New Jersey. His name was Jonathan Edwards. So Sarah Edwards. Her husband was a pastor for 23 years and had a theological conflict, and he was right, and he was voted out of his church 200 to 23 by the men. He becomes a missionary for six years in the, in the wilderness of then Northeast America, ministering to American Indians. And then he goes to, he's going to Princeton. He dies of smallpox. And so she writes a letter to her daughter, Esther, who was the Mama of Aaron Burr, who shot Alexander Hamilton, just for the point. <clears throat> and, and she says, Dear daughter, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had your father so long. He died at age 58. But my God lives, and he has my heart. And then she says later, we are all given to God, and there I am and love to be. Your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. Her daughter never read this letter. She died of smallpox two weeks later. Sarah dies a year later. But they, they write, she writes this because she sees a faithful creator. She sees the God of all 
grace. She's not surprised at the fiery trials that fall upon her as something strange were happening. She understands that glory awaits. My other example is, is this letter written in 1831 by a man who's been in Burma for 19 years or been in Asia for 19 years. His name is Adoniram Judson. Judson left two weeks after he was married from the Boston area, sailed to India, was in India two years, and decided to go to Rangoon, Burma, which was much more difficult to be even than Calcutta. He hires a Burmese midwife because his wife is pregnant with their first child. Uh, the Burmese midwife dies on the voyage as they see Rangoon. His wife goes into labor. He helps deliver the baby, a baby boy. The baby boy dies in his arms a few hours later. They bury the child at sea. He, he goes, they go to Burma. They, his wife, a couple years later, gets pregnant. They have a beautiful baby boy named Roger Williams Judson after a famous Baptist theologian he dies seven months later. His wife is sick, has to go back to the U.S. for two years. He's there by himself. She comes back. She gets pregnant again. And then he's arrested for being a British spy. And the Burmese didn't realize we just had two wars with Great Britain. We were not good buddies with Great Britain at that time. He's put in a prison for 17 months, beaten, sleeps at night with a rod between his legs as his body's elevating, rests on the back of his neck. It's a horrible, horrible thing. His wife becomes sick. She does give birth to a little girl. He gets out. They experience a few months of bliss. His wife dies. Seven months later, his daughter dies. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. His father dies. He goes into a three-year depression. Lives in the jungle. Uh, just bad. Comes out of his depression. God gives great fruit. And today, the Baptist Burmese Association or whatever has over a million people in it. But he writes this letter in 1831 to a woman who's just buried her husband, a fellow missionary named Sarah Boardman, and he says, my, my dear sister, you are now drinking the bitter cup whose dregs I am somewhat acquainted with. How's that for an understatement? You know, it's like saying, my nervous is kind of tall. You may see orange at a Clemson football game, you know. And though for some time you've been aware of its approach, I venture to say that it is far bitterer than you expected. He doesn't downplay it. And he goes on, he says, It is common for persons in your situation to refuse all consolation and to cling to the dead and to fear that they shall soon forget the dear object of their affections, but don't be concerned. I can assure you that months and months of heart-rending anguish are before you, whether you will it or not. I can only advise you to take the cup with both hands and sit down quietly to the bitter repast which God has appointed. See that God has appointed. He's a faithful creator for your sanctification. And he says this. As to your, your beloved husband, you know that all his tears are wiped away. And that the diadem which encircles his brow outshines the sun. Your children, the two had gone dead buried, your children have again found their father, not the frail, sinful mortal that they left on earth, but an immortal spirit, a magnificent, majestic king. What more can you desire for them? While therefore your tears flow, let a due portion be tears of joy. Wow. 
that is entrusting yourself to a faithful creator while you continue to do good. That, that's amazing to me. And then number two, you, you handle trials and suffering because you realize there will be a great day of rejoicing. Verse 13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You entrust yourself to a faithful creator. You look to him because a great day is coming. You see, when we, when we hit difficult times, when we hit roadblocks and walls, we can, have, we can do the Job's wife option or the Apostle Paul option. Job in the Old Testament loses all of his kids his enormous fortune, he has a skin disease, he has friends that give very, very difficult and weird advice, and his wife enters the scene, his beloved bride, the woman that he loves dearly, and she says, why in the world are you holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Thank you, wife. Thanks for blessing me. Curse God and die. You see, either you curse God and pull back, or you entrust your souls to your faithful creator. You know, the, the Apostle Paul says this. He's, already, he's just said that God gives us his Holy Spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The hope of heaven. Today is St. Patrick's Day. I looked for something green to wear. I could find nothing green to wear. So I, and I, so I decided this week to read a book on St. Patrick, and I did. And he's a, he was really a fine, he's, he's a 15-year-old. He was kidnapped and taken as a slave from a very wealthy home to Ireland. For six years he was in Ireland uh, living in the fields at night as a slave. Uh, six years after he had been there, he heard a voice saying, now is the day for you to leave. And he basically fled and left and he came back to England, but God placed the people of Ireland on his heart. He goes back to Ireland, takes the gospel and preaches Christ. And so he wrote this little book called The Confessions of St. Patrick. Let me just read two paragraphs. This is one of the last things he wrote. And so I wish to remain here in Ireland and wait for the day the Lord promised. For the gospel says they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south to feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As it says, so we believe the faith will come together from every part of the earth. And then later he says, if I've done anything worthwhile for the God I love, I ask that I might be allowed to die here for his name with these converts and slaves, even if it means that I won't have a marked grave or that my body is torn apart piece by piece by dogs or wild animals or that I serve as a meal for the birds of the air. I know that if that happened, were to happen, I would still gain my soul along with a new body on that day when we will undoubtedly rise again like the sun in the morning, like the sun, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. We will become like children of the living God, brothers and sisters of Jesus, so that by him, through him, and in him, we will be like kings. The hope of heaven? The hope of heaven. 
Death is not the final word. Heaven is. And, and, and so we rejoice in that. I, I, I was reading this week, and I did some articles on the internet and, and uh, watched an interview with this lady's husband. Her name is, is Susan Spencer Wendell. And she's just published a book. I, I couldn't find the copies. Maybe it's not been released yet, but it's coming out entitled Until I Say Goodbye. My year of living with joy. She was told two years ago she had Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And she knew it was the death sentence. And so she made a bucket list of things she wanted to do, like see the northern lights, swim with the dolphins, go to Cyprus and trace out her ethnic origins. And she did those things. She has, I think, three children, a very kind husband. And, and I, 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 I just, the, the integrity, the bravery, the courage this woman has exhibited is incredible. There's an excerpt from her book here, and it says this at the end of the book. Of course, she says, if you've read up to here, you know that events rarely happen as anticipated. She wanted to go with her daughter. She said, in case my daughter ever got married, her daughter's 15, I wanted to buy her wedding dress. So they went wedding dress shopping. She says, I'm going to be here for her wedding. It's just a touching book. There she is in the wheelchair with her daughter. She says, if you've read, you know that events rarely happen as anticipated. She gives some examples. None of these things turned out just as planned, but were perfect memories nonetheless. Because I did not have expectations, I guess, that's a lesson, if there must be one. Accept the life that comes, work and strive, but accept don't force the world to be the one you dream. The reality is better. I read that, and I, I go, I would love to meet this woman. But, but here, here's my, in, in all my readings and listen to interviews, and there's no mention of faith. There's no mention of the hope of heaven. There's no mention of the grace of the cross. And so I, when I meet people that show that bravery, I'm amazed. And I ask myself, why don't they curse God and die? Why be brave? Why show courage? But, but see, for us, though, we step back and we say, I entrust my soul to a faithful creator, my Abba Father, my shepherding Christ, the comforting spirit. I entrust him and I will continue to do good and to look to him because death is not the final word. Do you know that Savior? Do you know that faithful creator? Do you know that one who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death? Do you know that one who cried out, I am the resurrection and the life? He who believes in me will never die will have the light of life. Do you know the one who said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You see, when I know that, then I can say, I'm and through tears and pain, I am entrusting myself, my soul, to my faithful creator, the God of all grace. Thirdly, these things have... I, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us as we trust him. Rest means to be refreshed, to be revived, or to abide with power. Listen, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests 
upon you. Now, the focal point of this passage, as, as we're looking at today, is not the persecuted church worldwide, but the persecuted church index, the, the number one country in the world that openly persecutes Christians is North Korea, followed by Saudi Arabia, followed by Iraq and Iran. And, and you, you think of the, the, growing, the growing church in Iran. The church in Iran is growing. It's an underground church, but it's growing. And you think about people say, well, what do I do when I'm discovered? What do I do when I'm hauled before a magistrate or before some type of thought police in Saudi Arabia where the red bandanas and go around caning people who don't follow the Quran to the nth degree? What do I do? I'm, I'm, I'm an unlearned person. I, what do I do? And here's what Jesus says about that situation. He says this, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're going to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. God will give the grace. And when you're insulted or persecuted, you are empowered. The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, as I thought about this passage, and I went through this, and I said, you know, the Spirit of, of, of glory and of God rest, abides, refreshes this on your person. Don't embarrass people. I thought about two women. Well, yeah. Two of my favorite people who have multiple sclerosis. And I'll see them and I'll say, how you doing? Um, you, know, you know, it's hard, but you know, I'm trusting God. And there's, there's there's a beauty in their countenance. There really is. There's a, 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 a light. And I just step away and I, look, I think of this passage, the spirit of glory rests on them. I think of another woman who's, who's struggling with, with a physical issue and she's entrusting her soul to her faithful creator and even through the hardness she says, you know, God has been faithful. There are people sitting here, God, God forbid I walk this path, who have buried their children. God forbid. And, and in the pain and in the heartache and in the anguish, and it's, boy, it's just hard. They've entrusted their souls to a faithful creator to their shepherding Christ. And as you talk to them through their tears and through their sorrow, the spirit of glory rests upon them. There are people sitting here who have buried spouses. Let me tell you something. I've been married 33 years this June. Basically happily married 33 years. And I'm telling you, I've told some of my friends this, if Sarah died, you're going to have to pull me out of a hole. I'm going to want to crawl into a hole and die. You're going to have to pull me out. My friend's going to have to pull me out. I said, listen, you've got to entrust yourself to a faithful creator. So I look at people with buried spouses, and they say, you know, I may have 10 or 15 years or, or less left, but I'm going to live as unto God. And they serve and care, and I just go, wow. There are people, there's a dear man sitting over here in the first service who has a special needs child, and yet he and his wife are bathed with, 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 with glory. And I don't want to minimize the pain. Hey, the pain is there. But they're trusting God. 
really, if you, if you want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, trust God in tough times, when you're insulted, when you're persecuted, when you hit the wall. There's a dear woman standing up here is representing one of these, us before one of these families. Her mama was Eleanor Johnson. We buried Eleanor several years ago. What a wonderful woman. Walked around with a Bible that was crocheted, covering that had handles on it and tissues in it, because she cried when she prayed. And she was no stranger to grief. She buried a son. She buried a husband. She never had much money. Hugo destroyed her house. And yet, there was a glory on her face. In fact, my first year here, there's a 16-year-old who said, Miss Eleanor looks like Moses who came down from Mount Sinai when his face was glowing. And I thought, she does. And when you entrust your soul to a faithful creator, the spirit of glory rests upon you. You want to be empowered? You want to be empowered with the baptism of the spirit? The anointing of the spirit? Trust God when you're insulted for Christ. Trust God when, when, when difficult times come. Fourthly, when you entrust your soul to a faithful creator, you glorify God. Verse 16, listen. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let, let him glorify God in that name. John Piper says this. He says, listen, he says, glorifying God means showing by your actions and attitudes that God is glorious, that he is valuable and precious and desirable and satisfying. And the greatest way to show that someone satisfies your heart is to keep on rejoicing in them when all the support for your satisfaction are falling away. When you keep rejoicing in God in the midst of suffering, it shows that God and not other things is the greatest source of your joy. You handle suffering by glorifying God. I've seen many of you do that. I think of the psalmist who says in Psalm 73, though my flesh and my heart may fail, God is my portion forever. I think of the Psalm 125 that says, um, those who trust in, Mount, in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. You find that reality. Or Psalm 30, 32 that says this. It says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to him while he may be found. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. <laughs> now, I want that. I want to find in the triune God a hiding place. I want to find in the triune God a preserver, a refuge, and one who surrounds me with shouts of deliverance. Mm -hmm. So, now a pointed application. We live in this age of, of tolerance, which cannot be defined, really. There's a person named Dorothy Sayers who wrote a statement long before the age of tolerance in the 1950s. She wrote, tolerance, which in hell is called despair. 
is the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there is nothing to die for. So this passage talks about living for Christ and being insulted for the name of Christ and Chapter 4 talks about being maligned for the name of Christ. And I would just say to you, if you're a Christ follower, speak his name with grace and dignity. Speak his name. You see, we're called to love. L love does not mean that we give a carte blanche to people to do what they want to do. I think of the life of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus loved people. He, he loved prostitutes. He loved the outcast. He loved the marginalized. He, he, he touched people with a skin disease. He embraced the afflicted. He loved people. He also called the Pharisees a brood of snakes. He cleaned out the temple by overturning the money changers' tables and saying, you've made my father's house of prayer a den of thieves. Love does not mean you say whatever. Love means that you speak with brokenness to people around you. And you do it with, with grace. But speak his name. I mean, it's two weeks to Easter. Just speak his name. In, in 1 Peter, again, it says this, chapter 3, he says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. You respect and love people. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Verse 19, chapter 4 says, You entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Do good. Be hard workers. Be vigilant. Be caring. Be people of integrity. Do good. But as you do that, speak his name. And do it with dignity and respect. I always found this guy very amusing. Some of the football games and stuff. You stand in the end zone, hand down, you know, huge placards. Not, that, that, that is not my paradigm of speaking with dignity and respect. God bless him, I, I think. God, see, serious. I mean, you don't go to the office tomorrow and say, I guess I'm going to say to everybody, come over here, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. Have a good day. No, you don't do that. <laughs> you, you, you love people, and as you love them, you speak the name of Jesus. But to speak his name. One of my favorite writers, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, goes to the hospital in a gulag. There's a physician there, a Baptist, happened to be Baptist, who spoke of Christ. Spoke of Christ. And Solzhenitsyn, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, came to faith. That helped him come to faith in Jesus. The night that happened, he was attacked, and the, the physician was attacked and murdered 
But he spoke the name hours before he was killed. Speak the name. Live in such a way that when you're maligned or when you have troubles, when you, that, that, that you entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good, and the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. Thank you, so many of you, thank you for living that way. Thank you for showing us how to live. Thank you, many of us, for showing us how to grieve the death of a dear one. Thank you. Thank you for going the Apostle Paul route of saying there's a glory that I can't even imagine that will be mine one day instead of being like Job's wife and saying I'm going to curse God and die. Thank you. Let's pray. We are your people and the sheep of your pasture, Lord, and we pray that as we walk through the scripture that you would deal with us. Lord, I pray for people who are here today, who are being overwhelmed with, with issues. They're just overwhelmed. Sorrows, health, heartbreak. And I pray, Lord, you would show us as a people how to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Thank you that you're not some benign, unknown ill-defined holy other you are father son and holy spirit you are the god who in the fullness of time became a man and fulfilled the old testament sacrificial system by your death on the cross you are god so we just want to trust ourselves to you afresh and i pray that as we do that and for these dear people that the spirit of glory and of God would rest upon them. I pray that. Lord, as we approach the Easter season, prepare our hearts to, to, to continually be your people, and that is our prayer. Blessed be your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.